We're in chapter 4, and if you would, stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together this morning. 1 John chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 6, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You may be seated. God, encourage you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we love your word, and we thank you for the opportunity to go to it now. We pray for your protection on our church as we touch on a very sensitive subject, a a subject that uh, is is very controversial at times, this issue of false teachers. Help us to to rightly understand it, and we pray that you would give us the the grace to focus on your son Jesus, that our hearts would love him above all else. We pray for those this morning who who are hurting pray that we would mourn with them, and we pray that their hope would be fixed upon your Son, Jesus Christ, and they would be able to comfort others. We thank you for this uh, opportunity to exhort one another, encourage one another, together, together, and we pray that we'd be good stewards of it. And we pray this in your Son, Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. Our eight-year-old daughter, Ellie, uh, and, and by the way, I've, I've, I have her permission to to share this with you, uh, our eight-year-old daughter, uh, let me start again, our eight-year-old daughter, Ellie, uh, has an incredible ability to ask questions, uh, uncomfortable questions, and she also is like a bloodhound. If she senses that you're not really getting to the heart of her question or trying to evade her, she keeps going. Um, our other children, we, if they start asking a question that we're not comfortable with, we can kind of throw them off the trail, throw them off the scent a little bit, but not Ellie. Bloodhound, right? Walk into a house some time ago, that people we don't know, and the questions start, Dad, is this a really nice house? Yes, Ellie, yeah, it's a nice house. Houses are nice. I mean, but Dad, do they have to be rich to have this house? How rich do you think they are? Are they way richer than we are? Could we buy a house like this? The question's just getting to the heart of the issue. We watched a, a TV show, and as we'll watch it, I'll realize, you know, I don't know where this is going. I think we're going to change the channel or, or stop or fast forward or something if it's a movie. And Ellie, Dad, why are you stopping it? What do you mean you don't know where it's going? What's wrong with it? Why is that wrong? What's, what's mature about it? What is mature? What's wrong? Just, you know, the heart. She understands I'm evading her. So last week we talked about false teachers. And uh, some of you reminded me of Ellie. So Daniel, who's a false teacher? You use this person in illustration. Are you saying they're for sure a false teacher? If not, why not? Where's the line? This person has a little bit of this characteristic. Are you saying they're a false teacher too? You're like bloodhounds. And I wasn't comfortable asking some of your questions, answering some of your questions. And so I tried to throw you off the scent. It didn't work. And uh, I knew, though, that we'd be coming back this morning. We're going to, to lay some more groundwork that I hope will answer some of your questions uh, more sufficiently. And, and what we're seeing, remember the, the big picture of all that we're talking about, is that you and I, John is telling us, you and I have a responsibility And that responsibility that you and I have is to examine the doctrine and the life of those who claim to be teachers of God's word. As we engage in that task that God has given each one of us of examining the doctrine and the ministry of those who claim to be teachers of God's word, 
there are going to be some difficulties. And so we're going to talk through what some of those difficulties are. We're going to lay out some principles kind of as we get toward the end of the message this morning. And hopefully you'll see, okay, here's why Daniel wasn't necessarily willing to give me a hard and fast answer on some of these issues. And here's kind of what I can, can do as we think about how to examine teachers who are claiming to be proclaimers of God's word. You know, as we mentioned last week, there are a lot of issues in the Christian life that we are going to, to disagree on, and, and that's okay. There's going to be some diversity about how we apply biblical principles to our lives. When it comes to material things, what we purchase, there's going to be some differences. When it comes to how we parent, for those of us who are parents, there are going to be some differences about decisions we make for our kids and in schooling or, or what they can wear or not wear or how involved they are in sports or how involved they are in academics and what academics and what clubs, and and that's okay. In fact, the diversity that exists within the people of God is good for you. You need it in a lot of those issues. And I talked about how not only are we going to disagree on some issues, we're going to disagree on how important the issues we disagree on are, and that's good too. But, as we saw last week, there are some things we can't disagree on. The core truths of the Christian faith are not matters we can disagree upon. It is vitally important that we know who God is and that we respond rightly to the teaching of who God is. It is essential for a person's eternal destiny that they rightly understand who Jesus Christ is. And so, as I mentioned last week, we need to be united on the reality that there are false teachers. We need to be united on the fact that false teachers represent a danger to the church. As Ian Murray said, the greatest danger to the church we see in the New Testament is not from dangers from without the church, but but dangers from within. So we need to be united on the reality of false teachers, the danger that false teachers represent. We need to be united on some of the general characteristics of false teachers. And as a church, we at Bethany Community need to be united on how to respond to those who are false teachers. So that's what we kind of talked about last week. And we're going to to also this morning talk about some of those characteristics and, and, and how God tells us we're to test teachers and how... We respond to them. We're going to talk about those things this morning, okay? So let's look at verse 1, verse 1 again. And uh, remember last week, the first thing we saw is this call that we have to test teachers. That's the first thing, the call to test teachers. We talked about this last week, and John begins, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so he gives us this instruction to test teachers. And he states it, first of all, negatively. He says, don't believe every spirit. Don't just assume that every person who's claiming to teach for God is empowered by the Holy Spirit. There are other spirits out there, specifically the spirit of the Antichrist, that undermine the proclamation of God's kingdom. And so don't just believe every spirit. That's the negative statement of the instruction. Positively, he says, test the spirit. And that means, uh, test the spirits, test these teachers. That means to examine carefully, to put them under close scrutiny, to understand whether or not what they're saying is true. In other words, for you to fail to examine the doctrine and ministry of those who claim to teach God's word, for you to fail to do that is a sin. You can't be too lazy. You can't say, well, I'm just not smart enough. You can't say I'm too immature. You have a responsibility before God to examine the doctrine and the ministry of those who claim to teach God's word. So that that was what we saw last week, the call to test teachers. And now we're going to see two tests that John gives us to te- by which to test teachers. He says, okay, I'm supposed to test teachers. How do I do it? John says, I'm glad you asked. Let's give those to you. The first one is you look at a teacher's doctrine. You look at a teacher's doctrine. That's the first test that John gives us. And listen to what he says in verses 2 and 3. 
By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Okay, And so the call to test teachers, John gives us, and now he gives us the first test. Look at a teacher's doctrine. The first way you know if the Spirit of God is working through a teacher, is behind a teacher's ministry is whether or not they rightly understand who Jesus Christ is. Now, we're going to talk about this test, but let me just, first of all, tell you what this test is not. Okay. First of all, this test is not the only characteristic of a false teacher. We've, we've talked about other characteristics of false teachers before, right? So it's not like you say, well, this person stood up and they said, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, like John says they need to. I, I guess they're a true teacher because they, they said the, these words. And No, there's, there's other tests of whether or not a person's a false teacher. So this isn't the only test. Also, what I want you to understand here is, is these aren't magic words. It's not like a person stands up and says, <clears throat> Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Heresy, 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 heresy. Just because they began with those magic words, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, doesn't mean that they're a true teacher. They can still be a false teacher. Uh, the kids and I were listening to a, a radio sh- broadcast yesterday of This American Life, and, uh, or it was a podcast of a radio program, whatever. Uh, and as we were listening to it, they were talking about this, this, this young boy who received a, a book from his dad, called Ultra Psychonics or something like that. It was about how to work miracles with your psychic energy and something like that. And so he's talking about when he was a kid and receiving this book from his dad, how he would think phrases that the book told him to and try to get the door to move a little bit or, or he'd you know, try to um, you know, get more money by repeating some phrase or something like that. And you know, obviously it didn't work. Magic words don't really do anything. It's just kind of some some babble that he was saying. Saying Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, John says a person has to confess that if if they're a true teacher, but those aren't just magic words you chant. The radio program we were listening to also talked about some other so-called magic words that people say sometimes, and these words were in the context of a court hearing. The radio broadcast talked about how some people, whenever they're being sued by creditors, they come into a courtroom and they, they'll say these words. They'll say, show me the evidence. In other words, show me that I really owe you the money that you say that I owe you. And, and oftentimes when they say those magic words, the lawsuit magically disappears because the person who's purchased their debt from some other organization has no evidence to show them. And so the reason those words are effective are not because of the words themselves, Right? The reason those words in a courtroom are effective is because of the underlying truth that they represent. They represent the reality that the person suing them doesn't have any evidence. Now the same thing is true here. Whenever John, here in the text, says, by this you know, here's a test, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come to the flesh is from God, he's not saying these are magic words that a true teacher is going to stand up and say, Jesus Christ has come to the flesh. What he's saying here is, that the true teacher is going to have a confession, a doctrinal understanding of who Jesus Christ is that matches the underlying reality that that is what they truly believe. A true teacher believes the right things about who Jesus Christ is. Their doctrine on this most crucial of all doctrines, the reality of the, 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 the God-man Jesus Christ, their doctrine is going to be right there. They're going to confess that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Later in chapter 4, John's going to say, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And so here he's talking about Christ's humanity. A right teacher has to confess the right thing about Jesus' humanity. Later, he's going to talk about Jesus' deity. The right teacher has to confess the right things about Jesus' deity. Brothers and sisters, as you go through Scripture, over and over and over again, you see this concern 
that the New Testament writers have, that you grasp this truth, that Jesus Christ is fully God and Jesus Christ is fully man. So, for example, Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is fully God. He's the one who created the universe. He's the one for whom the universe exists. He's the one who's currently sustaining the universe. Later in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, John is going to say that Jesus is the true God. He is true God and eternal life. The New Testament writers believe it is essential that you grasp the absolute deity of Jesus Christ. They also believe that it is essential that you grasp his absolute humanity. As you go through the gospel accounts, you see that Jesus would thirst, he would sleep, he would be hungry. All the things that a human being does, Jesus does. Philippians 2.7 says that Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You must believe in Jesus' full deity and his full humanity. I love how the writer of Hebrews communicates this truth. In chapter 1, he talks about Jesus' deity. Listen to what he said about Jesus' deity. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus, he says, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So he is the exact imprint of God's nature. Everything that God is, Jesus is. There's no aspect of of being God that Jesus doesn't possess. He is fully God. Then later, what does the writer of Hebrews say? In Hebrews 2, verse 17, he's going to say, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. In other words, every single thing that it means to be a human, Jesus is that as well. Any aspect of what it means to be human, Jesus possesses. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. What is the writer of Hebrews saying? Every aspect of being God, Jesus possesses. Every aspect of being human, Jesus possesses. A person that is a true teacher is going to to hold both of those truths and communicate those truths. A false teacher, either explicitly or implicitly, is going to deny either the deity or the humanity of Jesus Christ. It's crucial that we rightly understand this. What we believe about who Jesus Christ is shapes our eternal destiny. And if it's true that there is a call on your life by God to test teachers, that means there's a call on your life by God to test their doctrine. And this is a very controversial understanding of what God desires us to do. I've shared with some of you the story before when I was at a luncheon and I was sitting at a table and and was across from a person who runs an evangelical, evangelistic organization, and seated next to him was an intern in his organization. As we're talking, I, I found out, I was just trying to understand how they engage in this task of, of sharing the gospel, and we're talking about where we go to church, and the intern mentioned that, that she uh, attends a Roman Catholic church, and I said, well, that, that that's kind of interesting to me, that as a, a Catholic, you're part of this, this Protestant evangelical organization sharing the gospel. And I said, you know, sometimes um, some in the church believe different things about how a person comes in a relationship with God. I said, so just help me understand, what do you believe about how a person comes in a relationship with, with God? If you were 
sharing the gospel as is the task of this evangelistic organization, what, what would you say to someone? How would you share with a person how to come into relationship with God? And uh, the conversation got very, very cold very, very quickly. And from that conversation, actually, a huge firestorm erupted. You know, I, I'd done something very offensive in their minds, in the minds of, of, of many other people. But when it comes to a person who stands up and says, I'm going to, to share the truth of God's word. I'm going to share with a person how they can come into relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, I would argue it is incumbent upon us to ask tough questions. And, and frankly, that question doesn't seem all that tough for a person who's leading an evangelistic organization or involved in an organization whose job is to share the gospel, to ask, hey, what are you going to share? What's going to happen? What's going to happen when a person doesn't rightly believe or apply these truths that Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man? Let, let me give you a couple applications why this is so crucial. First of all, a person who doesn't understand Christ's full deity or, or in humanity or doesn't apply that understanding consistently, that person is going to have a wrong understanding about the nature of sin. You see, we believe that Jesus Christ was fully God, but, but fully man, that he had to be fully man because he had to deal as our representative with this thing called sin. And a false teacher is going to be nervous about talking about sin. A false teacher is potentially going to, be, to shy away from calling people sinners. A person who affirms the full humanity of Jesus Christ understands, I, I've got to talk about sin. The whole reason that Jesus Christ had to become fully human is so he could stand as my representative because of my sin. It's vitally important that I talk about sin. A false teacher doesn't understand that reality or chooses to ignore it or chooses to deceive people on it and doesn't confront the reality of sin. So that's one thing. Another thing that's going to happen is that the false teacher isn't going to rightly talk about how we deal with sin. As they fail to understand what it means that Jesus Christ is fully God, they're not going to understand, hey, there is no other way that sin can be dealt with apart from, from, from God himself dealing with it. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 43, 1, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. No one can deal with sin but God. And so the false teacher is going to minimize the deity of Jesus Christ and not say, hey, there is no one but Jesus Christ who can deal with your sin. And so the false teacher, because they either intentionally or unintentionally don't understand that truth or communicate that truth is going to tell people wrong things about how they deal with sin. The message of the false teacher, because they don't understand or choose to misunderstand the deity of Jesus Christ, they're not going to rightly proclaim the gospel. That you and I can't be better parents on our own, we can't be better friends on our own, we can't be better students on our own, we can't be better employees on our own, we can't just get our act together true teacher says, only Jesus Christ can deal with those things. And finally, as we think about, so what's the big deal? Why do we have to look at the teacher's doctrine on who they believe about Jesus? If you get this message of Jesus wrong, you're going to communicate some wrong things about his authority over your life, Right? Saying that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, that he is the one who completely deals with sin, who holds the universe together by the power of his word, to say that carries some powerful implications, right, about his authority over my life. And the false teacher, the false teacher is going to be hesitant to tell you to do the hard things. The true teacher recognizes a very important reality. The true teacher says, you know what? <laughs> My authority as a shepherd it's pretty limited. <laughs> My authority as a shepherd, the, the right teacher recognizes, is a derived authority. 
There's nothing internal about the, the true teacher that, that, that is authoritative. The, the, the true teacher says, look, I've been given this task as an underling to tell you what God says. And so here it is. God says to do this, and so I say to do this. The false teacher says, well, let me kind of word this in a way that, that makes sense to me or in my human reason says this is what, the way I think you should live or let me give you some, some help principles or, or what would you like to do and let's kind of go easy and you know, I don't want to say things too hard or offend people. The, 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 the true teacher says, okay, I don't want to offend people but, and I don't want to be harsh and I'm not going to be harsh, but okay, here's what God says and I, and I hope you don't interpret it as harsh, but it's what God says. Here's what God says about your money. Sorry, but not really sorry. Here's what God says about morality. Here's God, what God says about sexuality. Here's what God says about marriage. Here's what he says, here's what he says, here's what he says. Hey, Jesus Christ is God and man. Take it up with him. <laughs> That's the task of a teacher, right? The false teacher doesn't understand or chooses to misunderstand the absolute total authority of Jesus Christ and it's betrayed by their teaching. Look at a teacher's doctrine. Secondly, John says, look at a teacher's ministry. Look at a teacher's ministry. Here's what he says in verses 4, 5, and 6 of 1 John 4. He says, little children, you're from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so in verse 4, he kind of begins with this positive statement. Okay, here's, here's reason for optimism. We know that we have overcome. It's kind of this, this perfect tense again. It happened in the past with these present results. And so there's, there's confidence based upon our belief in God the Spirit's greatness. Romans 5, 1. Paul would write, We've been justified by faith. It's happened in the past with these present results. And, and now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1.9. God saved us with a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. There's this confidence he has based on what God has done in eternity past of our, of our current Security, and so Paul has that confidence. John has that confidence here in 1 John. But now, listen to what he says about these false teachers. What we see about their ministry on the basis of their relationship with the, word, with the, the world. Look at verse 5, really closely here. And as you look at verse 5, you see three things, right, about these false teachers. The first thing you see here in verse 5 is that they're from the world. They're from the world. As you look at their ministry, you recognize, in a false teacher's ministry, you recognize worldliness. And it's hard to describe exactly how worldliness is manifested because it's manifested in a wide variety of ways. But in general, as you look at the ministry of a false teacher, you see it's characterized by worldliness. They're from the world. Peter in 2 Peter would say this. He says, as he's talking about false teachers, he says, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. There's this, there's this love for physical things and, and the things and pleasures that this world offers that false teachers love. And he compares these false teachers to the false prophet Balaam. He says in verse 15, forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. And he goes on in 2 Peter and he describes the, the, the love that these false teachers have for material things. Their love for material things betrays the fact that they are of the world. The concerns of the world, the pleasures of the world, the passions of the world are the same loves and pleasures and passions, desires that these false teachers have. As our elders 
have talked about this characteristic, uh, we, we've recognized that there are, there are many examples of this in the world that defame the name of Jesus Christ, right? False prophets who, who love material things and, and by the obvious manifest, manifestation of material things, the name of Jesus Christ is defamed. We've talked about the need in our church to, as we think about how we provide for staff, just as an example, that we have to be very careful. On the one hand, we believe, we believe that to have people who are working for the church live in, in poverty would, would, would defame the name of Christ as people saw us and said, okay, well, this person works for Bethany Community and they can't feed their family. That's, that's, most people don't love Jesus Christ. They're not taking care of that person. But by the same token, we don't want the world to look at people who are serving Christ in our church, engaged in gospel ministry, and say those people are engaged in gospel ministry because of the, the material things they're able to gain by it. May God protect our church. The first thing we see here in verse 5 is, is they're from the world. They love worldly things. What's the second thing we see? What else does he say? He says they're, they're from the world. And then he says in verse 5, because of that, therefore they, they speak from the world. They, they speak the world's language. You know, there's, there's two alternatives really that, that present themselves to a person who's going to claim to speak for God. One alternative is to find out what do people want me to say and then say that. The other alternative is to say, okay, what does God desire me to say and to say that? What does Paul tell Timothy in that very famous passage on preaching in 2 Timothy chapter 4, what does he say to Timothy? He says, you, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom to do what? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. False teachers are from the world, and they're going to speak the world's language. They're going to say the things that the world desires them to say. And what's going to be the result? What's the third thing we see there in the text about these guys that John tells us? He says, not only are they from the world, therefore they speak from the world. It says the world listens to them. Because a false teacher is, is saying that which is in accordance with, with what the world wants to hear, what does the world do? The world listens to them. The task of a person who's going to accurately speak the things of God in one sense is very simple because we just simply, what does God say? Okay, that's what I'm going to say. On the other hand, it's very difficult because what do you see about the ministry of the true prophet of God throughout human history? What do you see? The person who's speaking the true things about God and his character and his will throughout human history, throughout the time, since time began after the fall, until today, the thing you see over and over again is that the true prophet of God speaks a counter-cultural message. Peace and safety. No, destruction, says Noah. Uh, we should worship, uh, we should stay in Egypt. No, says Moses. God has called us to depart from Egypt. We should go back to Egypt. No, God has called us to continue in the promised land. 
over and over again. We should engage in worship of other gods. No, we should worship one God alone. Over and over throughout human history, as you see the the prophets of God speaking the things of God, you see that their message is the difficult message of of counter-cultural biblical truth. Over and over and over again on into our own day when it comes to whatever issue the, the culture excuse me, faces, the person who proclaims the truth of God proclaims a countercultural message. No, here's what our society says about materialism. No, here's what God says about materialism. Here's what our culture says about the issue of, of life and the sanctity of life. No, here's what God's word says about life. The child of God has the difficult task of being countercultural. The prophet of God has the difficult task of calling the children of God to countercultural lifestyles. And, and brothers and sisters, if you can find a person who will speak to you the hard truths of God that are countercultural, cling to that person and encourage them. By God's grace, follow them, listen to them. Reject messages that are simply in line with what the world wants Christians to say. The words are very true. What does it say here at the end? We're from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever's not from God does not listen to us. If you look at a person's ministry and you see that that ministry and what they say is just simply in lockstep with what the world believes and teaches, run. And if you look at a person's ministry and you see that person's ministry is embraced by mature Christians in Christ, cling to it. How then, how then do we respond to false teaching? How do we respond to false teaching? Here's where we get a little bit more concrete. So we, we've looked at a teacher's doctrine, we've looked at a teacher's ministry, and, and now let's ask this really tough question. How do we respond to false teaching? Well, let me give you kind of a couple thoughts here. And by, by the way, before we say any of that, here's the negative answer. We don't respond according to our flesh. Some of you, and I mean this, I mean this like really nicely, some of you are cowardly. And in your flesh, you have no desire to, to, to say hard things and, and to confront people who may be teaching false things or talk to people about false teachers who are teaching false things. And, and um, you're kind of like me uh, in, in the sense of, I can remember whenever I was uh, uh, very young in kind of the home ownership stage and I've never been all that gifted with, with home repairs and things like that. And so I can remember at times I'd, I'd come downstairs and we lived in an older home and, and, and something terrible would be happening to our plumbing or, you know, there'd be a, a leak in a faucet or the garbage disposal would just be making this, this sound like there was something living inside of it. And I'd think, hmm, I'm going to see if that's okay tomorrow. Just give that some time to work itself out, you know. Or when it comes to car repair, you, you start the car or it won't start or you know, it starts to, to talk to you in, in, in very rude language. And you're like, you know what? I'll give that a couple of days. That tire looks a little flat, but maybe in a couple of days it'll be okay. That's not helpful in home repair, not helpful when it comes to car repair, not helpful when it comes to confronting false teaching. You can't just say, maybe it'll get better. You also can't respond, according to the flesh, with fleshly judgmentalism or a critical spirit. And sometimes, again, especially when I was younger, my, my tendency was to be very harsh in, in, in my critiques and, and not very loving or gentle when, when dealing with people who were influenced by false teaching or false teachers themselves, and that's not a spiritual way to respond. So let me give you here kind of six things, just as we close, kind of, kind of, we're not closing, so don't start closing your Bibles, but as, as we near the finish line here, let's, uh, let's talk about six spiritual responses to false teaching or false teachers. And these require wisdom. They're not hard and fast principles. You can say, okay, in A situation, I always do this. And in B situation, 
requires some wisdom. So let me just kind of talk through some of these with you. One, sometimes the right response is to refuse to engage. Just refuse to engage. Paul tells Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that there are going to be quarrelsome people. He says in verse 16, Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. He says in verse 23 of 2 Timothy 2, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And there are going to be false teachers who, who come into the church. And even though some of the things they're teaching are true, the way that they say it makes it very clear all they are interested in is stirring up dissension. And, and they may... It may become in, in some sort of parenting movement or, or some sort of doctrinal movement. And, and all that they're doing as they talk is they're just kind of trying to stir up the people of God. And Paul tells Timothy, you know what? Don't engage people like that. There have been times when the elders have had to come alongside me and they've said, Hey, Daniel, there's this, there's this interaction you're doing and you just need to let it go. It's, t- it's time to, to, to just let them, let them be. Oh, but I want to yeah, you, let them go. They're just trying to start an argument. Okay. So sometimes you refuse to engage. A second response, it's a spiritual response at times, is is to try to refute wrong teaching. Refute wrong teaching. Paul tells Timothy and Titus, uh, Paul tells Titus in Titus 1.9 that an elder must be firm, hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and able to rebuke those who contradict it. And, and there are going to be movements that come along in the Christian world, and it isn't helpful to mention every name of every person who holds to this movement or is a part of this movement or holds to this some shade or variation of this heretical movement, but instead it's helpful to, to talk about it in general terms, to refute the wrong teaching. So, for example, the emergent church movement comes and kind of captures some segments of the evangelical church, and so it's important for teachers to stand up and say, hey, you know what, here's why this is wrong, and here's how postmodern thought is influencing this thought, here's how it's undermining the person of Jesus Christ, and, and here's how it's undermining God's call in our lives, and and his will concerning what we know, and, and so here, here's why it's wrong. Or, or some movement sweeps the, the church. The, the macho man movement begins to sweep the church and begins to undermine a biblical understanding of what male leadership looks like. And so it, it begins to teach this, this false understanding of what it means for a, a person, to a man to be a leader in the home or in the church. And so the church needs to say, hey, you know what? This macho man movement is not a thing of God. Here's a right understanding. Here's why this is wrong. It's not necessary to confront any person who's kind of said anything about the macho man movement. It's just, here's some general things of why this is unhealthy, right? And we need to do that. A third way to respond to false teaching is to directly confront. Directly confront. This is done especially, this is directly confront the false teacher. This is done especially when there's relationship with a false teacher. Or you're directly under their teaching, or someone you love is directly under their teaching. Sometimes this is appropriate. You think of Paul when he confronted Peter in the book of Galatians, as Peter was sympathizing with the Judaizers, and, and Paul says, hey, you, you can't do that, buddy. Priscilla and Aquila come alongside Apollos in Acts 18 or 19, and they, they say, hey, let, let's explain the baptism of Jesus to you, and they correct him. So, so there's times where you confront a teacher directly. If, if I say some things that, that, that seem off to you, you have a responsibility to come to me and say, hey, hey, Daniel, you said this. What did you mean? And there have been times when people I, I love dearly have come to me and say, hey, Daniel, you, you said this. And I'm able to say, no, no, I, I may have said that, but I meant this. Oh, okay, I understand. So that's another response. Fourth response at times is to expose publicly, to expo- expose a false teacher publicly. Now, I mentioned this in the, the Post Sunday app this week. A, a lot of you, again, came to me and said, Daniel, uh, you, know, you mentioned this personal illustration. Are you saying they're a false teacher? Sign on the line. You know, refute them publicly. Or you didn't say their name. Why didn't you say this person's name? Let me kind of explain some of my thinking here. On one end of the spectrum, you have perfect teachers who teach perfectly. No, not me. Jesus, a, a category of one. Then you have good teachers who sometimes teach wrong things, or sometimes an error. 
that's me by God's grace. That's other people that we, we love and, and care for and we say this, we're all part of this. Disagree on some areas, we're wrong on some areas sometimes, but there's no heresy. We're not teaching wrong things about the character of Jesus, about God's will, those things. And in the big sense. Then there's some gray areas. Some areas where like, okay, boy, something seems off to me in, in this this movement or or in this church or in this 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 prominent teacher. Something seems really off to me. I think it's wrong, I think it's false, but I don't have the confidence to publicly say, thus saith the Lord, they're a false teacher, etc. Instead, I'm going to kind of warn about the excesses of the movement, or I'm going to say, hey, here's some things I think our church needs to watch out for, but it, it seems to me unbiblical, if you don't know for sure, it seems unbiblical to say this person is a false teacher, this is false teaching. And then, and this, is a, this is another category that I'm still thinking through a little bit, but then sometimes there are some people that I'm, I'm confident are, are engaging in false teaching and are false teachers, but unless I had about two hours to sit down and describe why I think they're false teaching, it, it seems unwise to just kind of throw them out there as false teachers. So instead, instead of just kind of, as an illustration point of sermon, saying so-and-so and, you know, in... Texas is a false teacher, and moving on to the next point, you're like, wait, wait, why they're a false teacher? And it could do more harm than good, is, especially the person has a lot of good things that they've taught, and could cause a lot of confusion. So it's just unwise, in my opinion, unless you have context to, to throw that person out as a false teacher, or engaging in false teaching. And then there are other people who are clearly false teachers, and, and who you don't need a, a lot of groundwork to declare them a false teacher. And, and there, I, I think sometimes it, it's very crucial to expose that teaching as, as false, to clearly communicate it. And some people say, well, well Daniel, uh, doesn't this violate Matthew 18? Doesn't Matthew 18 say to go to that person and, and confront them first? And, and I would say this, in, in, in issues in regards to teaching, there's a different standard. And, and hear me very carefully on this. When a person stands up and, and claims to teach God's word, they place themselves under a stricter judgment. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, do not admit a charge against an elder. And by the way, you need to be very careful when a person comes to you and wants to criticize people in, in leadership of, of your church or other churches. You, you don't want to be engaging gossip. You need to ask a person, hey, are, are you telling me this so that I can, can help you deal with this situation? Because I want to be very careful not to violate First uh, Timothy 5 here. So don't admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, he's talking about elders here, teachers, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. And so if a person publicly proclaims things about Jesus Christ or his will for the church that are in stark contradiction to what God's word says God's desire for his people or church are, there needs to be more public confrontation. Expose publicly teaching or the teacher. A fifth response is to refuse, refuse close relationship with false teachers. Re- refuse activities that would indicate that you are supportive of their teaching. John would write in 2 John verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Don't give him any greeting. In other words, don't do those things when mark him as a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. And I would say the same is true for those who are in positions of church leadership. If there is a person who is teaching something that is heretical or is engaged in practices that undermine the gospel and render them unfit for ministry, do not participate in events with them that lend credibility to their ministry. Refuse close relationships with false teachers. Finally, We'll end here on a positive note. A sixth response to this reality of false teaching. Uh, teach sound doctrine. 
teach sound doctrine and support those who also teach sound doctrine. There's things that you do as you encounter false teaching, you refute false teaching, all those things, but at the same time, those of us who are in the church have the sacred obligation of encouraging those who are proclaiming the truths of God, elders, Sunday school teachers, parents, small group leaders. We have the task of encouraging, and you know what? We also have the task of developing those teachers. I mentioned uh, just my great joy uh, this last week as I was in my, in my blog article about the, the opportunity our church has been given to, to train future leaders. And God has given our church just an, an abundance of people who I believe he's going to, to lead uh, great things through. And, and our church has the opportunity to, to give to these people directly or through the ministries of the church to encourage them in their teaching, to, to pray for them, and I would exhort you to do so. You must proactively evaluate the doctrine and ministry of those who claim to speak for Christ. It's not a matter of, of minor importance. A person's eternal destiny rests on what they do with the person of Jesus Christ. And because that is the case, we have an obligation to make sure that those who are claiming to speak for Christ present the right things about them, that they proclaim that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, that there is salvation in no other name given among men by which they can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. You and I must proactively engage in evaluating the ministry, the doctrine, of those who claim to speak for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the stewardship you've given each of us to teach your word ourselves and to others. Help us to rightly evaluate ourselves. Help us to rightly evaluate the teachers you place in our life. Help us by your grace to be obedient to the great calling to which you've been called. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.